0: Chapter 2, we're working, we're not going to camp out in Genesis forever, but we're getting, getting a taste of the beginning of what God's plan is to, to right what is wrong with the world, to renew all things through, through his son, Jesus. And so I got two goals, right? We want to become better, just better acquainted with the story of the Bible, as well as for us who are followers of Jesus. Um, to see how right from the beginning God has been concerned about the whole world and he's appointed a particular people to be blessed by him in order to bless the world, uh, to be instruments of his blessing in the world. And so we're in the Garden of Eden today on page two. Uh, There are two creation accounts. Uh, The Bible loves to tell a story and then look at the same events from a different angle. Uh, That happens often in the Old Testament. And so we're going to read the second part of the creation story. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. We're going to read to verse 17. This is God's word. It says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and it became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold which is Egypt. And the gold of that land which is good Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree, of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is God's word. Uh, it is true and trustworthy. He's spoken to us today in love. Let's, let's pray. Father, we echo the wonder of David again, that who are we, dirt creatures uh, from the ground, that you pay any attention to us. And yet your word continues to tell us that you are personally invested in each and every one of us because we belong to you and so today give us a taste of what Eden is like of what you intended for the world and what you're going to do in us and where this world is going so that we might participate with you in your mission as we follow Jesus in his name we pray amen. So as as we jump into the Garden of Eden Somewhat of a familiar story, Uh, it's helpful to to think through all the different ways that the Bible talks about Eden. Um, It's a past event, right? This is, we're right at the beginning of creation. This is how God made the world. And, And I think as you come into the Bible, we all have echoes of Eden just etched in our minds, that every human being does. That we all have this conception in our head that this is how the world ought to be, um, right? There's, there's abundance. Nobody's going hungry. Uh, God is walking with his creation. Humans are working together, right? We're going to see with man and woman, uh, working together to, to expand the Garden of Eden, right? This is how the world should be. There's no death. There's no sorrows. There's no tears. There's no flies hitting me in the face while I talk. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> Whew. Um, you yeah, know, you can think about it a desire for a world where people are n- naked without shame, right? Just there's no shame. There's nothing to be ashamed of. All right, so, Eden often in the Bible is looking back and saying, This is what the world was intended to be. It was intended to be good. Or as Lewis puts, C.S. Lewis puts in his novel, Till We Have Faces, All right, this is what everybody's looking at with their desire. It says, The sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to reach the mountain, this place where all beauty came from. Right? I'm longing for home, this place where we belong. And so Eden is a past thing. It's something that the Bible says later that um, even though we're, humans are banished from the garden, we sang that this morning, uh, you get a little bit of taste of Eden in this world that goes not well. It's a present experience. Um, for example, in Proverbs, if you find wisdom, it says, you are blessed, and everyone who holds fast to wisdom will find her to be a tree of life. It's Proverbs 3.18. Right? If, if you find God's wisdom, it's going to give you life. It's like you're living right there in the garden with God. Uh, it says things like, a gentle healing, world, healing word can be a tree of life, that humans In relationship with God, armed with God's wisdom, when you speak words of gentleness and healing, it's like somebody's taking fruit from the Garden of Eden and being blessed by you. It goes on to say a desire fulfilled is like a tree of life, right? If you're longing for something you need and that desire is fulfilled, you're getting a small taste of Eden. Uh, Proverbs says, the fruit of the righteous. You can be a tree of life to others. Right? So when you live and rule and love the way God rules and loves, when people come to you and experience the fruit of the Spirit, right? they're getting a taste of Eden. Or you can talk about this idea of God just walking with his people. Uh, Leviticus will talk about God coming to walk among his people to be their God, Uh, echoes of God walking with his people in Genesis 3. And so you have this idea that the Bible uses Eden as a past thing. You can get a taste of it, though we're not completely there because this world is not well Uh, through faith. You get a taste of it now, but it's also a portrait of hope. It's a future event, right? So Genesis 2 starts in a garden Revelation 22 ends in a garden city where the rivers of life flow through it. And all these rivers are flowing to the nations and these trees that are growing, the leaves from those trees are healing for the nations. Right? Part of the big promise of what's wrong with the world is that what God's gonna do with this waste, places, the wilderness, he's gonna transform this wilderness world into a better Eden. Right? This is where you go with all the misery and fear right? God's restoring this mess <laughs> to a better than Eden place, right? So I start there because there's, just to highlight, there's a lot of different ways we could go with this, and I'm just going to try and march through the text, and so we get a glimpse to know what God is like. We're going to get to know what we are like, and then what God is, how, how the Bible uses Eden to show us Jesus, right? There's three things we're going to look at, but there's There's always more, and so it's just teaching us as good readers of the Bible is saying how when it talks about trees and rivers and gardens whenever you're reading the Old Testament, it's trying to ring that bell and say, remember the Garden of Eden and what it was like. That's one of the ways to read this. All right, well, let's look at the text here, Genesis 2. We want to get to know the God of Eden You remember how last week we talked about how when the Bible wants to teach you something about God, it loves loves for the scriptures to repeat itself and say the same thing in a different way. And if it's repeating itself, sometimes you're going to see similarities and sometimes you're going to see differences. And so when you start the second account of creation, and it starts with this little poem in verse four where it says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, right? So one of the things, well, maybe I'll just ask you this. If you think about Genesis 1 and how God was described, how is God described differently here in verse 4? It's only one word, right? And the, right there, it says Lord God in English, Right? The Lord, in all capital letters and in your English Bibles, always refers to the name Yahweh, God's covenant personal name. So in Genesis 1, it says, Here's God who created the heavens and the earth, and he, he formed them in seven days. Genesis 2, it says, All right, let's zero down and focus on what is this God like and what is his name, and his name is Yahweh, the same God, Yahweh, who rescued Israel from slavery in the desert. That's how they knew him, by his personal name, the Lord God. All right? so it's just, when you're reading the, the Old Testament, and you see Lord in all capital letters, that is the English way of telling you, we, we are referring to God's personal name, Yahweh. And so, this is going to be significant, because whenever, in Genesis 2, that's how God is referred to over and over again, the Lord God. He's Yahweh. So then you're going, okay, if This is the beginning of the story. All good stories introduce you to the main characters. What is Yahweh like? Well, as you look at this, what's he doing? He's preparing the earth for humans. He's cultivating a garden for for humans to live in. He's giving life. He's breathing. He's communicating with humans. He's providing abundance. There's enough food for, for humans to eat. He's functionally preparing this world to be his house, his dwelling place. He desires to walk in the Garden of Eden, which is, Eden is another word for delight, right? He wants to walk with humans. So you're getting a glimpse right here in the beginning. Who is Yahweh Elohim? Who is the Lord God? He is a personal God who desires relationship with humans, who's moving towards them, Right? He's the kind of God who forms people out of dirt, puts, plants them in a garden, and says, that place where we're going to live together, I'm going to call that delight. He's the God who delights in human beings. In the beginning, before sin. I mean, the, the portrait's going to be filled out in the rest of the Bible story, but Genesis 2 is very specific on how intimate and how personal the God of the Bible is. Right? In fact, this name is so significant that if you're, if you're reading Genesis 1-3 to 3 a lot and you will start to notice these things, uh, you'll notice that Eve, when she's tempted, you know, she, do you know the name she uses for God? It's not Yahweh. That just completely leaves her mind. She doesn't say the Lord. No, she doesn't say it's Yahweh who's stingy, narrow-minded with this commandment to not eat of this tree that we really want to eat. No, she leaves out his personal name that gives very specific uh, portrait of what he's like. And then she's left with her own imagination of what she thinks God is like. And she goes on the assumption that God is malevolent, not for her, stingy. Right? He's just ruining her life by giving her this commandment that says no. I mean, it's one of the ways the Bible tells this story is from verses, chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, when everything's coming off the rails, there's, there's an absence of the name of Lord Yahweh. And so, this is the problem of being human. <laughs> we forget God. We forget what he's like. That when we're tempted, we're just like, yeah, I've got this idea of God. He's not for me. I think I have a better idea. I'm going to take it. So like Eve, we forget God's personal name. This is our default mode. And so what I want to do as we look at the God of Eden is you've got to pray that the, this portrait of Yahweh is you really do see that he is good, that he is for you. Uh, that he desires relationship, and then any commandments that come are for our good, right? I mean, just one way to apply this is just how do you think of God? You know, what comes to mind when you think of the Lord? Right, if, if the first things that come to mind are, well, the God of the Old Testament's grumpy, uh, unpredictable, mean. I like Jesus, the New Testament better upgrade, kinder God right? I mean, I've had those conversations. We forget what God is like, or when God isn't providing what I think he should provide in my time time frame, what are we doing? You know, we're we're forgetting that he's Yahweh, the Lord, who loves us, who's promised to provide. So a great question to ask yourself and others is, what do I believe God is like right now? Does it line up with who God has said he is in the scriptures? And Genesis 2 is introducing us to him, Yahweh the Lord. Yahweh is the, here's, here's one way to put it, Yahweh is a generous God. He provides, he plants humans in the garden, right? There's trees everywhere. There's enough food to go around. You don't have to hoard, right? The, uh, the picture is he takes humans, plants them in a garden, and says, I want you to work for your food, But the way that work starts is they just go to a tree and take whatever work God has already done for them. right? He's a generous God. It's no different than us today. That's why why I chose Psalm 36. What does Psalm 36 highlight in bright, bold letters that God provides for all the children of Adam, regardless of whether they know him or not? They are taking refuge in the shadow of his wings because they're created and they feast on the abundance of his house. And they drink from the rivers of his delight. Right? You get food and water from this God. So, you're just getting a glimpse. What is Yahweh like? Well, he's, he's immensely personal. He's invested in building relationship with human beings to the point where he's, he's saying, I, I will provide for you. I will protect you. I'm putting you in a good place. So, how does he create humans, right? Let's, let's learn about ourselves here. It says in verse five, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up because the God hadn't caused us to rain yet, there's no man to work the ground and there's a mist going up from the, the land and there's just water everywhere. It's kind of echoes of Genesis one of there being water, waters covering the land. Right? And a little note on the word mist, right? There's a little, should be a little footnote in your Bible. It could also be translated spring, right? Which means is coming up out of the ground. To me, that makes more sense, but both are, both are fair. But the idea is this, the portrait of the earth so far, right? What's it missing to take care of it? Humans. Without the good work of humans, subduing, taking care of the earth, it's untended, it's wild, it's watery, it's waiting for humans to be made, to be fruitful, multiply, and care for this thing that God God created. And so that's what happens in verse 7. The Lord God forms the man of the dust from the ground. He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So you get two things here. right? Humans this is a, Sorry, this is a blow to your pride, but we are nothing more than dirt creatures. <laughs> right, I mean, just think about that as you put your hand in the soil when you're gardening. Right, the word for human, adam, or adam. The word for ground, Right? You can hear the Hebrew wordplay. Right, we are literally dirt creatures walking around as living clay, if you will, that God had formed and he gave breath. I mean, there's a reason the Bible calls God the divine potter, this expert craftsman who forms you. Right. But then it gets more personal because the Lord lovingly, personally gives life to his dirt creatures, if you will, because he breathes into the nostrils of man the breath of life, and Adam becomes something different. He's a living creature. He's, he's alive. But that, that act of God lovingly coming face-to-face with Adam, the first man, uh, is deeply personal. That's why one commentator said it's like the face-to-face intimacy of a kiss as God gives himself, his life, his breath to Adam so that they might become a living creature. And so one way to think about this is every breath we have taken so far today is an act of self-giving from God. Every breath is a gift. Right? And so what are humans? What is Genesis 2 telling you about us? Right from the beginning. We're, we're from here. Earth is our home. Right? Earth is a good thing. I mean, you got ground, you got God gardening, right? His hands are dirty, so to speak. Humans are earthy from the ground, but they're also heavenly filled with God's breath and life animated by his gift. I mean, this is, this is for our humility. We're, we're nothing more than dust. But we're honored because look at what Yahweh does. He comes alongside you, <laughs> gives you life, and says, I want to dwell with you. I want to walk with you. So we're, we're these holy hybrids of heaven and earth. Right? Well, that, that's the portrait of what it means to be made in the image of, and likeness of God. We are from the earth, but he's formed us with the life of heaven. So just let that humble you and exalt you at the same time. And then what happens is uh, God gives humans, gives man good work to do. It says Yahweh the Lord puts man in a garden in Eden, a, gar- a garden that God planted, this place where he provided everything they needed. And this is the place we're going to read in Genesis 3 where God comes to walk with humans. And in this garden is the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right, and then you get down in verse 15 again, humans are planted or put it in the garden. They're rested there to work, to serve and keep the garden. All right. so let's just look big picture. What does it mean right at the beginning, these ideas of what does it look like to be Human, what's the ideal, what's good? We already saw in Genesis 1, you're designed to be a king and queen. Made in the image of God was a royal term. He sends you out into the world to rule with a selfless rule the way God rules. And then in verse 215, we're shown this whole idea that humans are designed to be priests, to live life in God's presence. 2.15 Right, 2.15 says Adam was put in a garden to work and keep the garden. And so for centuries, Bible readers have noticed, um, Adam's job description is the same job description as Israel's priests when they're in the temple in the tabernacle in the desert. They work and they keep guard. Right, so bare minimum, what does it mean to be human? We're we're royal, but we're royal priests. We're someone who's created by God to live in God's presence, to represent him to the world, to be a priest, to do priestly work in the world, to represent him and care for the earth. I think it's your, your reflection in the bulletin, right? This is Ed Welch in a book I'd recommend, Created to Draw Near. It talks about this whole idea and fills out the whole story of the Bible with it. But he says, look, priests are the very offspring of God. We share in his likeness. Our lineage is from heaven, which makes us hybrids of heaven and earth. And we are more connected, right, to heaven than the rest of creation. Only humans are designed to have that face-to-face interaction with God. We are children priests, or since our father is the king, we are royal priests who can enjoy God's companionship as he actually enjoys ours. That's an astounding thing. What's your ideal state? A priest, a royal priest, enjoying God's companionship as he enjoys yours. And so if you're human, you're designed to be a priest. I know it's harder if you come from a Roman Catholic background because there's only one priest and we're not him. But that's not the intention for humanity. The intention is everybody would be priests in God's world. Right? And then, so we're royal priests, right? kings, priests, and we're also designed to be prophets, to hear God's word and to communicate God's word to others. And I'm getting that from verse 16 that the Lord God spoke to the man. And said, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Right? There's one command. Wouldn't it be great if there was only one thing? <laughs> there's only one command. And those words coming from God, based on everything we've seen so far, just in the first two pages of the Bible, are for our good. And Adam, by virtue of hearing these words first, is supposed to communicate them to his wife. We'll talk about next week. The failure in the Garden of Eden, it's the failure for them to speak God's word to each other and then to submit to that that word. Adam failed as a prophet, he failed as a priest, and he failed as a king. So, one more piece of the puzzle, and then we'll start to apply this here. I skipped the rivers, right? And it seems strange, you're reading this, it's about, all about humans, and it's like, oh, by the way, parentheses, there's a whole bunch of rivers, and you go, okay, I don't know what to do with that, and you said, tell me more about me. <laughs> what does it mean to be human? You know, And because it uses names we've heard of, right? Fifth grade geography, Tigris and Euphrates, we know of those rivers. People have been trying to use this description to say, where in the world was the physical Garden of Eden? Because if we can find it, Perhaps there's the Fountain of Youth we can get back in. <laughs> Nobody's ever found it, not for the lack of trying. So what are these, what are these rivers? One, the first river, Pishon, it goes down to Havilah. Later in the Bible, you find out that's referring to Egypt. Gihon, you read of a spring named Gihon in Jerusalem. So there's, there's that geography place. And then you have the Tigris, which flows east towards Assyria, which is right, way in the east. And the Euphrates, which flows down towards Babylon. And you go, okay, now what? So you got this picture, there's a river, it splits in four ways and starts to go out into the world to be a, to be a blessing to the world, if you put it that way. Because right? Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, all these places, they're all enemies of Jerusalem. Egypt's the the cruel taskmaster, right? That's where they went down into slavery. You have Assyria, they, they came down with their armies and just dragged people off with fishhooks and wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel. Babylon, we spent time in Daniel, right? Babylon did horrific things to infants and children, to God's people, dragged them off into exile. But here, right in the beginning, because we know the bigger story, you see this river flowing from God that he created, splitting to send the blessings of Eden out to the ends of the earth. It's foreshadowing. When even God's enemies would be recipients of God's blessing. Even Israel's enemies, right? Egypt to Syria. I mean, there's places later in the Bible where it says Egypt and Assyria are going to come back and they will be my people. The work of my hands, my inheritance, it's foreshadowed here. And so if you tie this together, I know I've I said this is hard, there's so many layers here, but if you just keep tying all these together, what does it mean to be human? To be a loved image bearer of God, walking around with God's breath in your lungs, uh, you're designed to be a prophet, ruled by God's world. You're designed to live in God's presence as a priest to mediate him to the world. And you're designed to rule over this corner of the earth where he puts you in the way he would rule, which is for others. All right. And then be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth with that great, beautiful paradise we call Eden. And you get a glimpse of that because that's why the rivers are there. It's like the Garden of Eden was designed to grow and fill the earth so that God's house, God's glory would fill the earth as far as the waters cover the seas. What went wrong? Clearly we don't live in Eden anymore. Um, I've had conversations. One of the things that's wrong with the world, people can't go out and get lunch for their kids, even in our own county. Um, There's death. There's tears. God Right? That relationship with God is broken down. There's people that have all kinds of conception of what the God who made them is like. And so what went wrong is, is Adam, you had one command. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't take wisdom on how to live in God's world into your own hands. Because on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And this is where... Instead of the Eden-like blessings filling the earth through the good work, through good humans, Adam and Eve failed, and the curse spread and filled the earth with death, guilt, shame, and conflict. And it's haunting us to this day. How did it all go wrong? Well, Adam broke the covenant. And here's what I mean by that. Verse, that, that command, that promise in verse 17 uh, has traditionally been called the covenant of works. That Adam, if you obey you and all your children, every human after you, um, if you have a perfect and personal obedience, right, the, the idea is it looks like you're going to be rewarded with life. right? If, if the punishment is death, the reward is going to be life forever with God. Or at least some kind of conception of life with God, ongoing. We don't really know what that would have been like because we never got there. But Hosea six seven, when complaining about Israel's unbelief and failure yet again, what's it say? It says, "Like Adam, like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. Like every human being, Israel's no no exemption. They failed." Which means, when you're hearing this command, this covenant of works, that uh, that every human being is called to live up to perfect and personal obedience in relationship with this God, you're getting to know yourself. Right. I'm a child of Adam, a child of Eve. My heart is hardwired to aim at personal and perfect obedience with the Lord. And all of us, I mean, we say out loud, right, nobody's perfect. But what's the, the narrative in your head when you're mad at someone? Right. They fell short of perfection. What's the narrative in your head when you fall short? Right. I should have done better. I know better. Why did I do that? Now, it's hardwired because right here in the Garden of Eden, we, every human being knows personal and perfect obedience is what's expected i mean if you think about it every religion outside of christianity is founded on some expression of this right if human beings do good enough then god will be delighted in you right if you obey then you'll get god's blessings if you're perfect then paradise will come to human into this world, if we just get the right policy in place, then, then everything sad will come untrue right here, right now, and the kingdom of God will exist on planet Earth. Right? See, the covenant of works doesn't go away. It just goes underground. <laughs> and it's, it's so hardwired that I can't not try and justify myself by what I do. Right? To try and please someone, to be a delight to them because I've done well. That's an echo of the covenant of works. If I get life right, then my life will be like paradise. If I please the right person, they will love me for who I am and make life worth living. No pressure on that person. Because they are hardwired with the covenant of works too, and and you're going to let them down. And so just think about this. How is the covenant of works, this idea that you must obey, to get the gift of life abundant life the good life how's that shaping the way you see yourself and the way you relate to other people cuz the moment you've put the burden of personal and perfect obedience which i'm quoting from the Westminster confession there the moment you put that burden on anyone including yourself what are you doing you're you're, you're taking god's chair you're stepping into his throne. See, as broken kings, we demand others to serve us. But we can justify when we don't serve them the way we feel like we should. As broken priests, we're separated from God, but we feel like if we just get it right, then God will bless me. As broken prophets, right, what do we do? We say, well, there's certain parts of the Bible I like, and there's parts I don't. And so I'm just going to tell the people the things I like. You know, we either change God's words or we ignore them or just choose not to obey them. See, we're, human beings from this moment on are going to be shattered until you get to Jesus where you finally see the perfect pro- prophet, priest, and king because we, like Adam, have transgressed the covenant and because God is personal, he takes it personally. <laughs> and so how do you get back? Genesis 2 doesn't tell you the, explicitly the way to get back. It just gives you this, these ideas that you need a prophet, priest, and king. You need someone to obey like Adam. <laughs> you need someone like Adam, but better. Someone who won't disobey, put it that way. Someone who can be a tree of life for us because we cannot get to that tree of life on our own. Which is going to lead us to the table here. Because what did Jesus do for us? Well, Adam was the pattern of the Jesus to come. Adam disobeyed, and by one man's disobedience, death and sin spread to the whole world, to all humans. And just as one man's breaking of the covenant led to condemnation for every human being, so now does one act of righteousness, Jesus' perfect work, lead to justification for every human being who believes. And I'm quoting from Romans 5, that, that by one man's personal and perfect obedience, the many will be made righteous. And that's the story of the Bible, in a nutshell, that Jesus fulfilled the covenant of works for us because you are saved by works, just not yours. Right? It's, it's the works of the perfect human, Christ Jesus. Yahweh come in the flesh the Lord God. And what did that work look like? Well, we're not in Eden anymore. He had to climb the tree of death, the cross, to take the punishment we deserve in order to be given access to the tree of life again. To use Paul's language in Galatians, Jesus was cursed on the tree of death in order to give us the blessings of the Garden of Eden so that God might walk with us again He breathes on us his spirit, (laughs) we have God's presence, and to restore us into communion with him. See, Christ's death is counterintuitive because it's through his death he becomes a tree of life for us, so that by faith we come to the righteous one and take that work that he has done for us. You receive the gift. It's a free gift, Paul says, right? So this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to come to the table and this is a small taste of Eden, a small taste of the future as Jesus has laid out the table of his death and resurrection, his grace, uh, the restoration of, uh, we now get formed into people who are prophets, we care what God says. We're now sent out into the world as royal priests representing Jesus, uh, ruling and reigning, serving others, even if they don't serve us. All right. But we're, we're coming to take the fruit of Jesus' labor, to eat it by faith. And when you do that, you're sent out into a, to the world to be a tree of life for others, to speak healing words, uh, to love, to serve, to have your imagination gripped, what would it look like for the blessings of Eden to flow to our enemies, right? Assyria, Egypt, Babylon, to work for their good, for their peace, I mean, if the work of Jesus is a tree of life, and, and in the long run, it's, it, his, the leaves are healing for the nations, so that anybody can come no, from every tribe and tongue and nation, no matter who you are, what you've done, right? We're called to take that work, eat it, and then share it with the world. So, who are you in Christ if you've taken that gift? You're a royal priesthood, says Peter, a chosen race. God loves you personally. Priesthood, God dwells with you. You're part of God's temple now. <laughs> You're part of his family. You're not alone. Right? You represent Jesus. You're a prophet who goes out and says, you know, what word am I called to proclaim? Adam had one word. right? One command. Don't eat of that tree. He blew it. What's the one word we're telling others about? Right? The word of God's grace. I mean, it, there's a whole bunch of other words that come with it, but the one thing God wants us to believe, he wants humans to take and eat, is the work of the one whom he has sent, which is Jesus Christ. And then as prophets, we go out and proclaim like prophets, right? Well, I said that already, proclaim like prophets the excellencies of God who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. See, this is, this is the gospel according to Eden. Take and eat, all the work is done we are blessed more than we can imagine in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Son. Let's pray. Lord, we got a fantastic gift of how the world should be. And as we prepare our hearts to eat and drink with you here in a moment, um, show us Jesus. Show us that the covenant of works is fulfilled and we now get to bask in the covenant of grace where we find ourselves delighted in and enjoying your companionship even as you enjoy us. Not because we deserve it, but because you set your love and affection on us. So meld our hearts, uh, feed us by faith that we might then go out and be a blessing to our neighbors, testifying to the work Jesus has done for us. In his name we pray, amen.